You heard the gossiping, you checked the rumors out, you started wondering what the heck it's all about. This thing called Hakapali, how on earth is that pronounced? Fins are what it's all about. Beyond Valor had some fins back when it first came out. In fighting withdrawal, they chased the Ruskies out. Are they overpowered? We will never quite find out till Hakapa lays out. Hakapali's job's to flush the finish out and the three winter wars and what CCs are about. Historical Hakapali is the 14th module. ASL's what it's all about. Said Finns or Italians when I pulled the counters out. It's a gray area, so I checked the forums out. It seems in Hakapale, a new color can't be found. Do I toss the old blue fins out? When AFV's Russian to throw the clitoris out. Because <laughs> I said not dance and I found out. These toys in Hakapale like the fan sleds to get about are what it's all about. You turned your playtests in, you filled the forms all out. That was decades ago, getting printed is in doubt. I want the Hakapale, MMP, please put it out. And end the ASL drought. You put your order in, you took your wallet out. You put your card number in, and printed the receipt out. You pre-ordered Hakapale, and in a day or thereabouts, levels reached, MMP did tout. At Winter Offensive, some great news did get out. Chess did some Facebook in, and he got the updates out. He did some Hocus Pocus, and he got the module out! It's finished and finally out! Let's order Hakapale! Let's order Hakapale! Let's buy a Hakapale! Everybody. Who are you talking to? Everybody. Oh, my. My goodness. Hello, everybody. Hello. It's Jeff and Dave. And it's January 4, 2016. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you and Yorin. I don't particularly like New Year's. No? Why, why is it that? It just seems so forced and staged. I don't know. You know, maybe if you don't watch the TV. And we, we have a gathering with our friends, mm-hmm. Timonens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Dave Timonen and uh, Heinz. And um, it, it's a fun gathering. We have pizza on China. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the only time she gets her China out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and it's a fun time. But then you watch the TV, and there's all those people, and they're all staring at the camera, oh, yeah. waving around like, oh, yeah. "Oh, we are having so much fun waiting here for hours." Now, yeah. maybe if you're there in Times Square, maybe it's actually a fun time. But, and then the announcers are always just talking forever, saying things like, "Wow, I can't believe I'm still trying to fill airtime, and we got another 20 minutes before the ball drops." Yeah. So, and then they bring on these people. I don't even know these people anymore. I'm just too old. It's uh, yeah, you are. <laughs> Well, it's it's amazing to me how few good acts there are available on well, yeah. New Year's Eve. Couldn't you like. fill the show with some wow entertainment? And uh, maybe some variety? Yeah. Instead of the same 
you know, lame kind of stuff. And then these four people stand there and are talking forever to each other. Yeah. So, and one guy was, he had his phone out, and he was, like, texting people on the side. Yeah. On the air live. And you know what's more lame than that? Than watching New Year's on, uh, in New York. It's probably this show. The watch, two watching the Chicago oh. New Year's Eve show. Yeah. Well, we saw clips of that. They were in a ballroom or something. They're always at, they're down on Navy Pier, and there's... Couple of people there, and they always get sauced every year. I mean, we would watch that just to see how sauced the girl would get. Wow! And it's the new year. I can't believe it's here already. And and, and the new year. I don't, maybe it's because it's a secular holiday. But I like the Fourth of July quite a bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Even when I was in high school, we'd go out. We'd go out partying all the time. So we didn't particularly need a ha uh, or excuse. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. It just always seemed like waiting for midnight was like an obstacle to the events. It really is. <laughs> That's a problem because you start at eight o'clock or something partying and you've got the hat on and the noisemakers, but really by about 9.30, most people are ready to go home <laughs> and they or, got all this time left. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to the old uh, videotape, the, oh no, I guess you can't, you guys can't, yeah, yeah, here's how. We 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 often can't meet on New Year's Eve because we're in Ohio with this group of pizza on China party, so we they tape it. And we we watch the celebration the on like January second, and we and we do our own New Year's party. But a lot of people can relate to watching the New York ball drop. Right? Is that an hour yeah. early or something? Yeah. And then you get to send the kids to bed at eleven. And my dad was doing that with my nieces, and he said, "Yeah, one year, niece Rachel said, no, Papa, this is not the actual. <laughs> it's not really midnight yet, you know.' <laughs> so." Yeah, you can relate to tricking the kids. Oh, yeah. Hey, kids. That's always a good one. 11 o'clock. Okay, it's midnight. Change the clocks on them when they don't notice. Yeah. Show the New York ball dropping and send them to bed. Yeah. Well, we thought about doing something. We were going to go out and get German food at a restaurant and then go out and see what was going around. But then we thought, no, let's stay home. Okay. we we stayed in. Because I don't know if you remember. I had pizza on paper plates. (laughs) Do you remember I emailed you? Yes. And I had said to Jeff, hey, do you and Robin have usually do things for New Year's Eve? Yeah. And your response was, do you remember? I think it was, uh, yes. No, (laughs) I think you said sometimes. Robin normally plans that. You said like sometimes or like what do you, do you want to, Yeah. what do you have in mind or something? Yeah, because I, I, I didn't know how to answer, because if I said nothing, then you would invite me to something really lame <laughs> that I wouldn't want to go to, and I'd have to think of an excuse how to get out of. That's always a loaded question when somebody says, hey, what are you doing on New Year's Eve? Yes, like, because you notice, I, I wasn't telling you what I wanted to do specifically right. yet, because yeah. first I wanted to find out if you had plans. I think you should put that you out there first. You were on to that. Yeah, I You was. were on to that. And then I responded with, do you remember? Normally, yeah. I, you said you're not invited. No. Said I wasn't going to invite you anyway. I, we go out and have fun and have dates on China. <laughs> no, because we did that January second. Oh, I said. Oh, you said. Yeah, I know what you said. Can you say it on the air? <laughs> what did I say? You said that you had. You were just coming off three days. Yeah. You, you can, can I say it? Uh-huh. With your wife right? and and her family and in her Ohio. Family. Yeah. And you needed a little escape. A little gaming time on yeah. New Year's Eve. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't have gotten that through Congress. No, well, and, and, but Eve. you didn't respond to me either, so I thought, oh, I guess Jeff doesn't want a game yeah. <laughs> on New Year's Eve. 
Oh, I didn't respond at all? No. Okay. That's okay. Can I respond now? Yeah. No. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm not. They're still there waiting for you. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I think the important thing is we survived another New Year's. Maybe there's a, you know, I wonder if there's an ASL, like an ASL New Year's Year's tournament or something. New Year's party. That'd be better. Uh, I don't think so. I think in general, the whole thing is is a little disappointing. Well, yeah. And it's it's like, yeah, I don't know. Another year. Okay. Like, I, I, I guess I don't look, f- I, I don't hitch my wagon, what I want to say, my horses. Your gun? You don't, you don't hitch your limbered gun? <laughs> to a caisson. Yeah. And I don't suddenly look forward on New Year's to, like, changing my life. I don't do the resolution thing. I'm always trying to lose weight, and I never succeed, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need a special time to, to do it. Right? Yeah. Right. Do you no, that's get into true. that stuff? Oh, this year I resolved to yeah. do this and that. like okay. Someone said today on the radio, uh, Mark Zuckerberg resolves to every year he does a res- he resolved to read two books a month one year, and the next year he resolved to do this thing like with his family. Well, you and I resolved to read some books and make a new podcast. Yeah, we didn't have to wait till January first. No, I I don't know. I I get it though, and I I get a little excited about that. But this year I didn't do any resolutions because i i don't even remember what last year's it was stupid stuff if you maybe you remember but you do look forward to a new year like it's different than the other years Yeah, a little bit you do yeah the, okay last year had some challenges and i'm so i look back and think well i'm glad that's over <laughs> that's but that could be you could just do that every month well that's true <laughs> that's true but well anyway. 2015 was a tough year i think 2016 is going to be a good year it is yeah Got a feeling 21 is going to be a good year. But that reading two books a month and, you know, Mark, who, who cares what Mark Zuckerberg? I, I don't get his tweets. I I don't care. And I think you can do, you know, if when you're worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. You can resolve to do a lot of things. Stuff. <laughs> you can do stuff. You can say, I'm not going to go to work much anymore. <laughs> so I can read I two books I might read a, a book a day. Yeah. Bill Gates too. He does. He does that. Does a lot of. He reads a lot of books. He goes. I like to read books, and I think. Well, I like to read books too, but I have to work. <laughs> I'd like to play more squad leader, but I have to work. So that's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to work more. <laughs> well, anyway, this is the one and only show dedicated to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. And I am Dave. And I'm Jeff. And you know what? Here's here was my other problem with New Year's this year is I, I'm not drinking any alcohol. And how much weight have you lost, sir? Well, I've lost. Uh, I'm down to 179 this morning, from 185. So I've lost six pounds since the day after Christmas. And I know where five of it went. <laughs> Me? <laughs> oh, he went went over to you. Yeah, went to your house. Yeah, sorry about that. Rarely do I do that, but I actually did the. Oh, I gained five pounds over yeah. the holidays. Yeah. I'm drinking diet soda, though. That makes up for it. Yeah, just the day, the day after Christmas, I thought, that's it. I'm done. i got to ch- change my lifestyle a little bit. Yeah, a couple and, of fewer uh, drinks a day. Yep, yeah, haven't had a drink since Fewer then. bad carbs, you said? Oh, yeah, I've cut out bread, all that. Bread, pasta, crackers, all candy, no no sugar. Yeah, whereas, whereas I was actually eating days. all the candy the kids gave me <laughs> in school. I mean, I, did, I deliberately so tried fun. to eat it, like all of it. I know, it's fun. It kind of was. Yeah. 
but it was sickening. And you can eat candy. You can eat. I can eat a ton of candy and think, oh man, I'm so sick. I can't. I will never eat another piece of candy. And then about an hour later, you kind of like, <laughs> where's that bag? Hey, where's that bag? I think there's some M and M's left in the bottom of that bag. Are you like that? Yeah. And normally we don't even have sweets in the house, but oh, you're the good. students give me lots yeah. of nice gifts. Thanks, nice. kids. That's nice. And a lot of that's food. Did they give you any ASL stuff? No. Any games? No. no. But once again, as said last show, guess who's the only person that got toys in my, my household? Mr. Dave. Me, I got those corn stalks we talked about last oh, time. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I can't wait to see your corn stalks, Dave. I got to tell you. Miniature corn on the edge of my On the edge of my field here. Yeah, I did not. my seat. I did not get the Spinosaurus I wanted. but <clears throat> Oh, uh, little, Santa. Little toy. Yeah. A little disappointing, Santa. But that's okay. Yeah. Something to look forward to for Valentine's Day. What time is it now, Dave? It's time? It's time for What's in the Box or Envelope in the Mail. We got a special gift. All gifts are special. Keep them coming, everybody. Uh, more gifts. We could take more. We, we could take we, more. We, we're not full yet. Correct, Amundo. Yeah. We can have more gifts. So this is a nice gift from Michael Dorish, the Scenario Designer's Handbook, second edition. Second edition. The first one was so popular... It was he needed to do a second edition. I and guess. this one's actually inscribed. Is that the word? Uh, it's autographed, maybe. To the two half squads, thanks for all your efforts. Not successes, he says, <laughs> efforts. <laughs> thanks for all your efforts at making the ASL community a fun and respectful place. Well, thank you, Best Michael. Yeah. Nothing about the fact that we contribute anything, because maybe we don't. I don't know. So here we are, second edition, and we reviewed this. Do you remember what show that was? Way back. No, I do not. Oh, it's going way Maybe back. we'll First try edition. and link it if we yeah. think of it. Um, Must be five years ago at least. Oh, more than that. This was first published in 2007. Yeah, I think it's at least five years ago, maybe six years ago we did it. So uh, for those of you that don't know, this is the Scenario Designer's Handbook, which is a, a, quite a large book. It's 230 pages or thereabouts, and it's... A large format book, so I'd say that's about. It's big, and he's got here. And should I read the table of contents so we know what's in here? Um, yes, please. I can um, or review you... those. I've got, uh, looked through it. I haven't read this one as thoroughly as I read the first edition, but refresh my memory. Okay. First, there's a, a dedication, and then some acknowledgments, and then a forward. That's all very, very, very good stuff. And I noticed we were not listed in that officially printed, but anywhere in here. Lots of cool people are that you will know. Okay, then chapter on to chapter one, Scenario Essentials. That is a nice little outline of the things included in a scenario, and I love his diagram where he has laid out a scenario card and numbered it 1 through 11 or something, explaining what each of the things are, especially where he noted that this little section... The uh, historical section? Yeah, it's called the... Oh, darn, I already forgot... It's like a prelude. He calls it the prelude. I never not, know what to call that. It's not yeah. quite, I call it the scenario background, the historical background. I don't yeah. know, but a, a prelude. I always remember the prelude from church. Uh-huh. Played before. Yeah, that's right. Actually. Yeah, they would be, yeah. have the prelude and the postlude. Pop, yeah, I call it a postlude, but that's probably, it's probably correct. post. I, don't I know. always say hotly, too, instead of hotly. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all kinds of, as you know, little weirdisms. Uh, chapter two, research. Yeah, it talks a lot about researching, and somewhere in there is a very good list of books, historical books by nationality for, you know, ref- references 
as, as well as historical information on the forces. But Chapter 3, Identification. What's that about? Identification. Don't remember. Okay. Chapter 4, Victory Conditions. Yeah, oh, very wow. good article. Interview with John Hill in there, too. Oh. On victory conditions, like, you know, to- ones that have one force totally massacred yet can win. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the variety of, of, of scenario victory conditions that we find and how to write them so they're not the kind of victory conditions that Jeffrey Hallett hates. Yes, and I do. Uh, number five, terrain. Yep, how to... Chapter five. Which also has great examples of historical maps being translated into game board maps. Okay. How Ch- to approach that. Mm-hmm. Chapter six is all about forces. So the different... Yeah, orders of battle. Con- very, very thorough. The orders of battle. Yeah. Very thorough orders of battle listed there for you. You don't yeah, even need got, any other source. like a hundred pages of that. Of That's that. a lot. Chapter seven, scenario special rules. Yeah, how they can give flavor, how to not make them redundant or repeating things in the rules themselves, and mm-hmm. so on. But to give a little, I like I like special rules. Where the, it gives a little extra something. Yeah, unique flavor to the scenarios. Yeah. Testing balance and game length. Chapter eight. Yeah, play testing and. Chapter nine, publishing. Yeah, how to approach that? That you have these third-party products as well as the multi-man publishing, and you can how people can self-publish and stuff these days. Mm-hmm. Chapter ten, start to finish the Battle of Groningen. Uh, yeah, it takes a specific look at uh, scenario design from from its inception to its final production. And chapter eleven, the Krug Kruglauka Railway. Another scenario that he looked at. And then chapter 12, Saving Private Ryan. Another scenario, probably, that he took apart. I think so. Yeah. And then chapter 13, Heroes and Leaders. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he has a big layout of the awards given by each of the nations, too. So it's got all kinds of material, even as, if you're not going to design scenarios, it's very um, interesting to read if you just love the history and, and World War II stuff. Okay. And he did send us a, an email clarifying. Nice. I had asked, you know, knowing I wouldn't get to reread it all before we took a look at it on the show, asking for a little advice on what people would look at as being different. And one thing that he does point out, this is not just to get you to buy another one thinking it's a total different product. Mm. But we loved this product on our first review, yeah. and that really stands. Nice. It's, in fact, it's improved for sure. Second edition, maps and overlays are updated with, of course, the new ones. Gary's double-wide maps and the um, GIAOV reissues that came with Rivers to the Reich. AOV. What's AOV? AOV. I don't know. Don't know. Three capitals, AOV? Yeah. Hmm, I don't know. Not the overlays? Overlays. American overlay have been moved also to an appendix at the end of the book to find it quicker because, yeah, where he has them now, they're in the middle. And I've referred to his um, layouts of all the boards and overlays when I've been looking at a scenario for setup. Some nationalities have a bit more info added, particularly the Chinese and the Finns with the release of Hakapale. Uh, I thought it appropriate to bring this up to date. About a page or two additional discussion has been added on the victory conditions. And otherwise, a lot of cosmetic uh, changes, aligning the text rows. Well, it's very nice. It's a very nice book. If you're interested in scenario design or in, uh, especially the orders of battle, I think would be really interesting. 
Yes, absolutely. It's just a, a huge volume of information that'll take you all the way through your scenario design. And again, I don't design any scenarios, but I love it having it as a reference as well as uh, just fun to read about what can go into a, a scenario. And I like the cover because they've got a picture here of, I think that's Omar Sharif. In Is like that? Battle Fatigues, yeah. It might be. And then there's a guy here with no shirt on. <laughs> yeah. It looks kind of like Tintin. <laughs> he looks a lot like Tintin. I think it is. Tintin with no shirt it's on. It's because of the way the picture's done. Yeah. He is, he is topless, isn't and, he? And he? He is topless. Yeah. It's not like he's wearing a khaki shirt no. or a tan-colored T-shirt. No. Um, and I love the black cover, very sharp-looking, yeah. except that it does show up my little finger marks, smudges. So You're supposed to be reading this with gloves. I'm going to wipe that down before we take a picture of that today. Yeah. Oh, good idea. And I guess you can get this, probably you can order this through his website, which is tactical, tacticalwargamer.com. So check that out. Any idea and how we'll much put up a link. I think, it has, I think he's asked, is it 50 or 60 bucks a copy? But we have a special price of $10 over that. And, uh, we have a special price we of... Keep the, we keep the extra. Of us keeping the signed book to us personally which makes it extra, extra valuable, and putting our original edition into <laughs> the next contest pile. Now that has upped the value of the next contest, Jeffrey, dramatically. Dramatically. You know, no offense to a old scenario pack or something, but... Hello there, Jeff and Dave. This is Jackson. I just wanted to leave you guys a message to tell you about this terrific tourney that we're actually setting up Mayhem in Manila. Mayhem in Manila. That's going to take place on the weekend of July 28th, 2016. we got a nice place on the top of the building, right by the pool. You're going to be playing with, you know, sunshine and palm trees. Little pink drinks with orange little umbrellas in it. You'd also sit in a place that is the mo- one of the most horrific battlefields uh, back in the Second World War. You can also make side trips to places like Bataan and Corregidor. Mm-hmm. And let's not even start you know, about the shopping. So hopefully, <laughs> this gives people enough time to actually plan the trips for next year and really to convince their loved ones of the perfect logic of such a, such a quest. I have a website set up. It's mayheminmanila.wordpress.com mayheminmanila.wordpress.com Any questions or comments, Leave it on there. We'll attend to it as soon as we can. So that's it. This is July 28th. I hope to see all of you guys there. Thank you. Well, he makes that sound pretty good. Jackson Kwan, that's, he does make it sound Pink good. Pink drinks with little umbrellas in them? Yeah. I mean, sunshine. I you can't get those outside of Manila, can you? <laughs> drinks like that? I don't think so. Historical battlefields? Yeah. It hey. sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, everyone try and get there. July 28th. I wonder what he would do if like... <laughs> 60 people yeah. showed up and... Yeah. Or I, sure what, what would we do out. if like some anonymous donors donated our air flight uh, fees to go to that tournament? Yeah. That would be like super crazy cool. Yeah, that would be crazy cool. Um, hey, here's a here's Maybe a little... Mark Zuckerberg could put add that as one of his <laughs> resolutions. New Year's resolutions. Send Jeff and Dave to Manila. <laughs> Hey, I do have a little notice from Pierce here for, I think, uh, I think the new year. Let's see what he said here. Okay. Guys, enjoy your 
presentations every year. This is Pierce from Savannah. Wish you all a very Merry Christmas. And continue to roll low. Adios. Peace out. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you, Pierce. Thanks for chiming in. Got great pipes there, Pierce. You could do radio <laughs> or podcast. Or our show. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, if you'd like to leave us a message, just go to our website and click on the little a little phone thing that pops up when you go to our website. Yes, but it's not for the contest. We have not started our new contest yet, no. folks. And we've made a New Year's resolution to do some crazy contests, more crazy contests this year. <laughs> like a, a long time from now, like in the fall. Yeah, probably not till fall. But we will have that designer's handbook in there for a prize. That's a great catch. People have to wait till fall to sign up for a... Well, summer. I guess I'm up for okay. it in the summer. Okay. I'm just burned out from that last contest. Yeah. You worked so hard. <laughs> it just seemed hard tracking everything. Yeah, it was. Well, I mailed I, everything out. That was you easy, did. though. You did. It a was great, only three prizes. You did a great job. I think we should call that the Dave Kleinschmidt contest. Oh, speaking of mailing things out, yeah, we got hats. Oh, we do. We still have hats. I put some on eBay. No takers. Oh. A lot of viewers. Maybe some new people found that we even exist as a podcast yeah. from that. That's one of my goals. Yeah. A little advertising there. But, um, yeah, we, we have sent out a, about a hat like every three weeks. It's not a good sales rate. So, people, you're going to need these hats for the summer. And it's going to come oh, soon. Oh, must have, yeah. Yeah. Keep your bald heads from, from <laughs> getting sunburned. Yeah. The two half squads will be back with more zany ASL madness right after this word from our sponsor. Oh, Jeff, Jeff, are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed, I've got my passport, and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Why, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritterkrieg? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is the great online store of ASL equipment. ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box map and map case, and all kinds of ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow. I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her, but I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But Jeff, you might be able to take her because... A donor has donated our air flight <laughs> to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife, I can take all my Ritter Creek equipment, and we're going to Mayhem, Mayhem in, in Manila. Manila. And these OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that it, you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And do you know what makes ordering from Ritterkrieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me. They have free shipping. <gasps> well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to uh, order this Ritterkrieg stuff? Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com, R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila. There we go. 
That's our first. That's in fully impromptu <laughs> ad for our new sponsor, Ritter oh, Creek. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Let the music set the tone. That's just the think, magic. Just think if we actually rehearsed something or planned something in advance, how good this podcast might be. Oh, well, what are we going to do next, David? Well, now it's time for what's in the box, part two. Part du, as they say in France. Du. Part du. Duax. And it's. What is it? ASL Journal, issue three. <sighs> and the crowd loves it. On parade. Here's, here comes ASL Journal now. ASL right. Journal 3. Brought to you by Multiman Publishing. With what an opening the... article on the Norwegian campaign. Now, this dates back to when? Is there a date on that? Oh, yeah. Like 20, like... Year 3. Wow, year, year Journal 3? Year 3. It says, look how wrinkly my... My journals get because I have to reread them and, yeah. and notate notate on them. Yeah, just to do this silly podcast cover art. David Pentland, we reviewed that already. Mike Reed, playtest coordinator. Kevin Valerian, the use house, the house house playtest coordinator. Translations, Alain Chabot, and Jerry Mathers as the Beaver. Scenario playtest: Philippe Naud, Laurent Crossier, Philippe Leonard, the Bunker Crew, the Pennington Bears, the two half squads, Chaz Smith, Matt Shostak, Mike Sengigen, Sam Tyson, Win Paul Nicky, Robert Hammond, Russ Curry, Glenn Gray, Russell Mueller, and Jerry Mathers as the Beaver, along with Paul Hornbeck. Don Knotts. Michael Haney. And Francis Bavier. <laughs> and many more. I can't find the year. Oh, well, who cares? Oh, copyright 2001. Okay, Big letters at the bottom. So that was a long time coming. The Norwegian campaign. I will never ask that again. By Philippe Nod. Nod. Philippe Nod. I, now, I, I, so I read this article. Why? This is what I was supposed to read. No, you gave it to me. No, I oh, didn't write a no, J No, that's right. By you it. gave me. You, which, which is the one you gave me? The French Expeditionary Corps. Oh, yes, right. Okay. And Slaughterhouse, Case for Infiltration. Go. I made a little note uh, quite a long time ago. At, at the northern tip of the country, the port of Narvik was the gateway for Swedish iron ore bound for the Reich. The coast of Norway is free of ice year-round because of the Gulf Stream, while the Gulf of Bothnia, which opens on the Baltic, can only be used four months a year. Bothnia? Is uh, that like Bosnia only? With a T-H. Yeah. If you have a... If you have a lisp, it's yeah. Bothnia. Bothnia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bothnia. And there you go. I, you know, I, I kind of didn't... I, the first time I heard about the iron ore stuff was this editorial cartoon I used at school. The ore comes back, and it was like they shipped it to Germany, and then it came back in the form of a tank to overrun their country. Oh. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, very good cool editorial cartoon. That. And I think that's about all I noted. Oh, no, I have a little note over here. It's a big historical article, really wonderful, right? The main role in the operations in central Norway, while French and Polish troops were the majority around Narvik, among the latter, the Légion Entrangère and the Chasseur Alpines, and the Polish Chasseur de Podehel units, were in theory able to fight in subpolar areas. 
So I didn't know those army groups were there, along with the British, what's what the British had. And before the first Anglo-French elements arrived, Norwegian troops had to fight on their own. I, I knew that. The Air Force and the Navy had suffered heavy losses in the first few hours of the invasion, and responsibility for most of the fighting fell to the six divisions of the army. The organization of those units was very variable to to three infantry regiments with one artillery regiment or a battalion of mountain artillery, depending on the terrain. So it's kind of historical. Information you'll find in this wonderful article. Article. <sighs> Dull. <laughs> Unless you really like history. Yes, right. Like most ASLers. Well, I like history. I do. I like, I like history. There. So there. I like it. And... You were to do the French Expeditionary Corps in yes. Scandinavia. So you're not going to be really pleased with my... Because <laughs> you did the wrong one. No, you, well, not only that, but I did read the French, the French Expeditionary Corps in Scandinavia mm-hmm. by Laurent Clausier. And uh, I, I, honestly, I was so horribly <laughs> bored yeah. that I got nothing out of it. Uh, even history? Yeah. I, it just, I just didn't care. It, it, maybe because these sisters aren't written by a professional writer. Yeah, and I don't could I, spice I don't, things up a bit. Yeah, and I don't mean to be mean. I just found both of these historical articles horribly tedious, uninteresting, and to the point where I, I couldn't even comprehend what I was reading. And I read it twice. Sounds like a brain problem. It to me, died, well, it, and that could be. So maybe somebody else would like to read the French Expeditionary Corps in Scandinavia by Laurent Clausier and uh, call in with their review yeah, of this. Yeah, that, that's because a... I, I found it just completely uh, unobtainable. That sounds certainly yeah. and I apologize. Fair for enough for a per- brutal for... person like yourself who has a mean streak a mile wide. <laughs> well, the next article was. You probably didn't like this either. A two-month stint, the Chasseurs de Padahale, which is the Polish brigade, right? Wasn't it? We'll say yes and wait for somebody to correct Well, us. in France, the Polish communities were living abroad. In France, they numbered some 500,000 people. The Polish government in exile drew up plans to recreate armed forces. However, economic considerations, many were, um, due to those, many were employed in industry or mining, limited the potential manpower pool to about 60,000 men and how they were formed into a fighting unit. On April 24th, the brigade boarded its transport at Brest, bound for Norway early in May. It arrived north of Narvik, Mm -hmm. east of Krakatoa. (laughs) Way east. And a bit north. (laughs) Early June was devoted to reloading the troops on ships. Krakatoa. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were now needed on the French front. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, hey, it's, where are you gonna, else are you going to find that kind of detail? Well, it's true. And it's, it's, these articles apply to other contents in the magazine. Correct. And so it's kind of nice to have it there, but. Yep. Kind of a very compact, you know, it's very tightly written and therefore dull. And and it's got a lot of technical stuff, dates, yeah. times, yeah. amounts of things, and so on. But if you're building a scenario, you might need that information. Yeah. And you do get a mission, JM1. Hush, hush, or how do you say that? Ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> Salerno, Italy. 
That's how I say it. Is that it. your cat over there? I think it is. Ha. <laughs> ha. Yeah, I don't have a cat. This is designed by Todd Hively, and you get a do-your-own, not a do-your-own, what do we call the solitaire ASL. Ah. Scenario. So people looking for that. Every day. Right. Yep. It's in Sicily. Is your position being swarmed and the enemy about to capture your gun for double CVP? Are you torn between taking one last shot and spiking the gun? Never fear. You can shoot your gun normally in prep fire phase or defensive fire phase and then destroy it as intensive fire. Just be sure during defensive fire that there is an adjacent enemy unit allowing you to final fire. And never give up. Never give up. The dice. Boy, that's a great tip from the trenches, Jeff. Boy, that was a, were we 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 that was a lot of work. We never go back and re-record something. I had to record that five times. Speaking of work, did you do Slaughterhouse? No. Scenario review of J33? No. Look, I put a J by it. Yes, you did put a J by it. Well, there's a nice uh, Slaughterhouse scenario review of J33. Yeah, well, that's probably all we need to know. Yeah, and a case for infiltration. Yes, I did. I oh, did good. Read that okay by Brian Yaus. Yes, and this was uh, this was kind of an interesting article, though. As all of these are, I, I urge people to get this journal, read it, but it's a lot of words, kind of a lot of words. I feel like they they need to fill up some pages here, but th- this really was had some pretty good technical advice, and what he's talking about here is the idea that when you have Units such as the Japanese who are using hand-to-hand combat. You may want to really think about whether whether or not you want to throw them into close combats. Because the idea behind hand-to-hand combat is it's a lot more deadly. Mm-hmm. And But you have to remember that it's not only more deadly for your guys attacking, but for the other player defending. So you could easily take a, a relatively low-power unit and throw them in there and in hand-to-hand kill him but he's got just as likely a chance that he's going to kill you back so if you can afford to get killed fine there you go but if you can't then you may want to consider some other options so what do you do with the japanese who are relatively low power they're you know oftentimes outgunned i run away and yes and oftentimes outnumbered so what he's talking about here is what he calls infiltration now he says oh yes I'll just read a couple of spots. Mm-hmm. He, he just sure. wants to think. He wants you to think, can you spare your unit? You know, if you're going to throw them into hand-to-hand combat, can you afford to lose them? If you take that unit off the map, will you still have a chance to win the scenario? If you can't win without that unit, then you shouldn't enter hand-to-hand close combat. Good good way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, it is in your best interest to initiate hand-to-hand combat with as little firepower as possible unless you absolutely have to take the position. He goes on and says, a uh, little later on, for the most part, Japanese squads seldom make close combats attack at much greater than one-to-one due to their relatively low firepower in relation to their opponent. Yeah, which are usually American six-whatevers. and Usually so. So it might make you think, well, yeah, in that case, I want to use hand-to-hand combat, and maybe you do. 
but he says, consider infiltration. By infiltration, I'm not referring to the slim chance of momentarily negating the simultaneous nature of non-ambush close combat. I'm referring to the principle of slipping by your enemy, getting into their rear, and cutting their lines of communication. Oh, so not like when you roll the snake eyes and you get infiltration rule where you get ambush and then can move out of the hex in close combat? That's right. He's just talking about this Man- more as a, as a tactic maneuver. of maneuvering around. So how do you infiltrate an ASL? Simply move, it's simple, move a unit up to the enemy as if you intend to get into close combat, move adjacent, maybe suck up a shot or two from the defender, then instead of stopping, you slide to the next adjacent so that you're next to the unit. He'll probably shoot again, maybe he'll risk um, final protective fire there, but you know, if he rolls badly, he's broken. So is he going to risk that? Then he's probably hoping that you'll move into close combat at that point. But instead of doing that and risking that tough close combat situation with hand-to-hand, just infiltrate by moving on past him. So you're kind of surrounding him. The key to infiltration is the in the advance phase. Don't advance into close combat, but advance behind the enemy unit. It's best if you remain adjacent if possible, but not essential. With some luck and some advanced planning, you may even have a kill stack concealed, which will move adjacent to the defender. Now your enemy's in trouble. Japanese squads most likely flipped, but possibly not. Move him to the rear, and uh, now suddenly he's got something else to consider. He's going to be surrounded. Yeah. During the enemy's prep fire phase, does he fire knowing that a shot is... Not likely to kill your Japanese unit, but merely reduce it further? Or does he try to move out, knowing that you'll get a shot in defensive fire, which may break his squad, leaving it to die in the route phase? Nowhere to go. Cut off his routes. So it's kind of a... I like this idea. I I don't think this is one that I've ever used. Actually, I don't mean to be bragging here, but I did do this on my own with Dave Timonen. I remember... Realizing I had more squads than him, and that if he f- even succeeded in hitting me and I failed a morale check, I'd go to red side and could continue moving exactly opposite him. Uh, but then I was thinking my advancing fire would break him and he'd be already surrounded. But Brian's pointing out you don't even have to move exactly behind him, you can just advance behind him and then wait to see what happens in the yeah. in his prep fire phase. That's the difference, right. Yeah. I think I was rushing it a little too much to get around behind him during the Japanese move. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, and I guess you don't have to you know, use it just for the Japanese, but he's stating that it's particularly strong for the Japanese because as they move along, you know, they, they don't break. They flip, so they can keep moving along and slipping in behind the, these units. There you go. Good article. So that's highly re- you highly recommend that I one? recommend that article. Hi, your opponent's armored half-tracks loaded with squads and ready to cut off your retreat? Are you afraid to close against all the firepower he has mounted as cavalry? Are you afraid to close against said cavalry due to the terrible horse manure smell? Can't get close enough to close assault the tanks because of all the... Armored fighting vehicle riders he has protecting them? Is that what's bothering you, Bunky? 
Well, remember that only infantry may subsequent first fire or final protective fire. Not passengers, not riders, not even cavalry. Just infantry. Passengers and riders get only one shot. Horse manure has no effect in game terms. Maybe you can slip past the half-track passengers or get close enough to unhorse that cavalry. So have no fear, my friend. Well done, old boy. Yeah, baby, one take almost. That was very good. Well, the next thing we have in this is a Collect for Output by Kurt Schilling. Or how the heck did that happen? And basically in this article he talked about the proofing, the whole process of creating a counter sheet with the technology of 2001. And I only noted one thing, number six. Then we proof it. And when this is done, the program we use called Quark. Quark. Mm -hmm. Do you know about that? I do. Performs a neat little task entitled Collect for Output. What this does is collect every piece of text art and art and all the data for fonts etc into one folder this is done for each counter sheet and then the folders written to a cd and sent to the printers process ends when the printer sends us back color proofs and we approve them do we really want to know how the sausage is made well i highlighted one thing in this article yeah what? and yeah well <clears throat> yeah this is i mean this is all for people that love ASL, this yeah, is all, I think I loved stuff. it Internet enough to kind of yeah. get. I enjoyed it, and it's only a page. Yeah, but I noticed this cartoon at the bottom is ASL cartoons, which were lacking, sorely lacking in these productions. Yeah. One of our readers, Ken Smith, sent us this cartoon depicting in the eyes of his aspiring cartoonist son a typical ASL dad. How about that, Ken Smith, the artist? I'm wondering. I didn't catch that the first yeah. time. Maybe we should shelve this show. I think so. And uh, start doing a cartoon. I think we ASL should cartoon. shelve the show because it's uh, getting close to uh, an hour long. No, no. it's not. <laughs> what time are we at, we're Jeff? At 50 minutes. Oh, that's close yeah, to we're an hour. Close. Yeah, right. it is. Should we, you want to wrap up or you want to do another? Let's do one more and okay. then we'll bring them the rest of this fine product later. Uh, I took a look at the anti-aircraft guns now. This is a little more inch kit. And it's by Chaz Smith and Matt Shawstack. Shawstack. And again, I highlighted some parts. I thought strategically, let's learn some tactics or cool information from this article. Uh, it's got a nice layout of uh, samples, as usual, in these magazines. And he says, in this type of, or they say, in this type of defense, you should employ the AA guns back from the direct firefight. And if possible, out of direct line of sight altogether. So they can't easily be destroyed by opposing ground forces before accomplishing their mission. I think that's almost always true. Yeah. IFE has a normal range of 16 hexes. And aerial range is always double the number of hexes to the target, making its normal aerial range 8 hexes. Thus, a preferred setup is for an AA gun to be within 8 hexes of a potential strafing hex of a HVT. Okay. A high-value target. Ah, high-value target. Yeah. So keep your AA guns close to your high-value targets, but try to keep them hidden so that while they're in the AA position, especially, that they can't be targets for enemy ground fire. Correct. Yeah. Um, 
or opposing air fire. So as right. airplanes are going to come in to find those high-value targets, then you can unleash this AA gun. Mm -hmm. It's within range of that target. An AA gun must be set up within 16 hexes to have any effect at all. So keep that in mind, step number one. Uh, and then uh, they wrote here, uh, in addition, the two AA units that they're showing in their sample are set up with their vehicle-covered arcs facing to the rear to withdraw rapidly if approaching enemy ground forces come. Hmm. Okay. I never thought of that. Yeah. I never have thought of that. A moving enemy unit could allow a motion attempt, and both vehicles are in a position to begin retreating and possibly stay alive and continue the fight. Very good advice. There. Yeah, that I is just, good advice. I just never think about it. A vehicle-mounted gun as well. I better be prepared to move, prepared for the next step, always. Yeah. Uh, they also start the scenario concealed, as Jeff has already mentioned, making them more difficult to sight by the attacking aircraft. And everyone's an expert at aircraft rules because we already covered that. Oh, yes. Shows ago, right? Oh, yeah. Air attacks. The U.S. aircraft have some tactical options with this setup shown on page 19. Assuming successful sighting task check and hit, the MGs achieve an effect with an original to kill die roll less than or equal to 5. Base number 6, plus 1 for aerial advantage, plus 1 for rear target facing, neg 3 for the Panther's aerial armor factor. Note the point blank for the to hit and range effects for to kill do not apply for air attacks. Just pointing out what kind of modifiers are on that. A direct hit with a bomb affects a panther with an original to kill die roll less than or equal to 15. And a near miss needs an original to kill die roll less than or equal to 7 for an effect. The panthers are vulnerable to fire bombers. So again, we've shown... Uh, did we put up the Yabo? Yet. No, I don't think so. Uh, I made another note. A quick look at E7.3 in the chapter E divider shows what most what is most helpful in decreasing the chances of your aircraft successfully sighting your units or the enemy aircraft sighting your units. Woods, orchards, buildings, smoke, and concealment are the best cover against air attacks. Using tunnels and sewers for movement when available protect your infantry from air attack. And these are especially useful from hiding from Stukas in the rubble of Stalingrad portrayed in Red Barricades. And when we played that game, we talked about on the air uh, when I did the big four-man game last year. Yeah. First bit. Uh, thanks, yes. In the Valor of the Guards. Remember how the Stukas were, like, oh, really yeah. deadly? Yeah. Sewer movement. Didn't even think of that. So that's a really good tactical advice there. And uh, they have a nice chart here on light AA versus aircraft, the probabilities of achieving an effect, which is really small <laughs> in most cases. So you get a little firepowers, you're talking 16% to any effect, eliminating at 2%, yeah. damaging at 5 and evading yeah. 8 I mean, it's hard. It seemed hard for me most times when I'm trying to, Shoot down an enemy aircraft. Yeah, I think more what you what it does is uh, make your opponent, the attacker, just be wary. Be wary, wary, careful. <laughs> On the outside chance that he might get hit. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty it's pretty tough. And you can, I don't know if you've ever fired a heavy machine gun at a passing airplane, but it's tough. It's yeah. tough to hit. 
I'm, I'm sure I have long ago. Yeah, maybe in a previous life. <laughs> because it's, it seems really difficult. Yeah. Um, set up considerations, part of this article. Take care if you want them to survive for long. In most every case, you should set up unarmored AA vehicles in some kind of TEM. The best situation is behind a wall for two reasons. First, it's plus two. Again, small arms fire, which is a big killer to these guys, because usually these AA guns are often unarmored vehicles, mm. trucks and things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second, it's still hauled down to ordnance, which lowers the chance of a gun taking it out. Unarmored vehicles cannot set up in buildings, so the plus two is the best TM available to you on the board. Hmm. May as well take it, then. However, a wall affords no TEM to machine gun attacks by aircraft. And they come yeah. in non... Yeah. Right. An unarmored vehicle could also set up in a trench, if provided, which gives the plus two. However, your vehicle is then immobile for the duration of the scenario. I thought they could move, but they reference it B27.51. And I don't usually put vehicles in there. They give a nice list. Of I guess it's supposed what it depends what kind of vehicle it is, whether or not it can get out yeah, of the trench. If you're, yeah, and then what kind of need you may have to yeah. actually end up moving anyway, depending on the terrain. Uh, scenarios with air power, they listed oh, that's as nice. of 2002. So you can apply the things that you've learned in this with some scenarios. There's a couple deluxe ones, three, and a bunch of journals, some couple from the general. Uh, what's AH? Grabbing Gavuto. Oh, Tanabago Nightmare. Oh, that's the um, the big island ones yeah. that came out with that reissue of that uh, journal. And some of the basic ones inside of the Volga tanks in the street, birds of prey, of course, bloody red beach, and so on. You okay up there? It's my wife. She bumped into something, <laughs> knocked over the dog. And straight for Jones is another article starting on page twenty-two. Matt Shawstack and Chad Smith again, and they uh, point out about strafing attacks with these uh, air 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 planes. <laughs> Uh, it's it's really not very hard to get started using air support in ASL. Just over four pages in length, the rules are relatively short. Moreover, a small fraction of the rules cover most of what you'll need to know. Very few scenarios involve aircraft on both sides. You can skip the dogfighting, so this is kind of how to get started, I guess, Yeah. until you need it. Likewise, most scenarios have special scenario rules to control the turn of arrival and number, and you can leave observation planes out, and heavy AA is... Very rarely used. Yeah. So then they talk about that leaves you with the actual meat and potatoes of ASL, air support. And they run through pretty much what we have covered previously on several shows about doing a strafing run. Mm -hmm. I think we had diagrammed that out previously. Yes, and that's fun. It's a lot. It is a lot of fun. It is fun. You get to hit a, a row of hexes with the machine guns. Yeah. And if, a, if it's a row of hexes with trucks in it, and the trucks are all full of passengers, it's, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we were just getting to that point on the, the uh, scenario that Rich and I played last time, Coiled to Strike, I think it was. Yes. And I was I did not do well in that scenario. But I had some some Russian fighters coming on the next turn, if I hadn't lost, with rockets. And um. Rich had three uh, fairly lightweight, light-armored tanks set up right in a row, and they were really harassing me along the, the ridge of this hill 
where I was at. So I was looking forward to getting to the point where I could come on with rockets, which is kind of like a, use kind of like a strafing run, but with rockets, I would have obliterated those and picked up plenty of CVP. But again, I didn't get that far. So close. Next time. That's what's bothering you, Bunky. That's what <laughs> Here's another tip from the trenches. Don't let your opponent intensive fire at just any of your units during defensive fire. He can fire at whatever target he wants in prep fire phase or as defensive fire, first fire, in your movement phase. But during defensive fire phase, a weapon already marked with a first fire counter is under the restriction of A8.4 and can only fire at adjacent or same location units. Just remember that. Remember that, folks. This has been a public service announcement. Hey guys, Scott Mullins here, a.k.a. Grumble Jones, just sitting here on a Sunday getting ready to watch football, was thinking about you guys, and would love the opportunity to talk to you guys at some point, uh, maybe discuss uh, the, you know, the current state of blogging in ASL. I noticed we lost uh, Hell Down just the other day where he decided to stop blogging, so just curious what your thoughts were about where blogging uh, adds to the to the ASL experience, etc., etc., and then uh, also would love... The opportunity to talk to you guys about cardboard via Skype. I know we've uh, kind of touched on it a couple times on Slack, but I think there's there's a lot there. And uh, recently converted Scott Holst over to that. Uh, one of the grognards out there, so that was kind of uh, kind of interesting to get his his take on that. And he's also a big vassal player. So, at any rate, I uh, wish you guys a great Thanksgiving and uh, hope we get the opportunity to talk at some point. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for your call, Scott. We appreciate that. Uh, we always like to hear from our fans. And Scott, uh, you know, mentioned that Halt Down website. Yeah, the guy's going to stop blogging. I can't remember his name now. He has a, it was a very interesting blog. But yeah, I mean that happens. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work doing a blog. It's a lot of work and, and, and writing up. Yeah, a lot of writing. Writing it up and posting all the pictures and and that kind of stuff. And certainly understandable. Uh, the People go in and out of this all the time, and you just got to let it go. But it would be a good topic to, to look at. I think we've t- mentioned it long ago and haven't really followed up much with looking at a group of blogs, and maybe we could call you and ask. We'll call. And do an we'll, interview. Yeah. We'd like to talk to you, Scott. Grumble Jones. That's not Scott Holtz. It's Grumble Jones. It's Grumble Jones. Scott Matt. Mullins. Matt. Was it Scott Mullins or Matt yeah. Mullins? Oh, Scott Mullins. Sorry. Yeah. Well, time enough to... Add on a little clip we have of Tom Barkalow and I playing playing an air game. Yes. Yabo. So here it is. Hello, everybody. It's Dave and Tom. Tom Barkalow here. We are recording Yabo. Or do you say Jabo? Jabo. Jabo. Yabo. Yabo. We don't claim to know. You got the dramatic name. (laughs) And we don't claim to be experts on right. airplanes, but having we did play all those planes in that campaign game with Mark and the Stalingrad, and so and we do have, of course, the ever ever helpful chart by Jim Sexton that we referred to them. I am so glad I have a copy because I could not find it online. Oh, anymore? Well, I, it wasn't under the. Um, I couldn't find it on the uh, Desperation Morale site. No, I don't think he would put up someone else's charts necessarily. I don't know. Anyway, 
I had it from our campaign game, so I was able to do it. Yeah, we highly recommend that. Right, and so reading the rules, which is it's a good thing I, I have to read government regulations for my job. <laughs> they are a model of clarity compared to some of these rules, okay? But, it, you know, with all the acronyms and everything, trying to read through and understand these rules, it takes several tries. And even then, I'm never sure I've got it right. <laughs> it's funny, like the bullet points of the chart. Yeah. But yeah, and I'm feeling a little out of it um, because it's also involving the half-track rules in this one, which I never really mastered well with the yeah. buttoning up, escaping. So I got some spilky tables over here to help me out on half-tracks. Uh, I, mean, I know they're easy. It takes practice. Um, right. So, so this this scenario starts out, you would think, oh, the Germans can just run right off the board. But it's not that easy. Yeah, and that's what initially I was thinking. And and we looked it over. We had some questions. One, which direction is the convoy facing? Right. We don't see in the special scenario rules that the convoy has to go toward what town? Tom, is it Chennault? Yeah, Over here. I think this is the east end of the board. Or trying to go off right. on AA6. This but is... the description says they had just crossed the bridge, and so it makes sense they're going away from the bridge. So we've set it up that way. And That's if these right. vehicles are going to make a run off the board, they would want to go toward the bridge, toward L'Eglise. Because that's shorter distance. Instead of over here toward AA6. But I'm going toward AA6. Right. And I put a half track in H H6, the Kampfwagen, GG7, GG8 has the Panther, one of the flak, beautiful flak guns in FF8, half track AAMG, FF9, GG10 is another one. The other flak is in HH9 and the last half track II9 um, yeah. and I thought I had one of these guns with the oh the CMG half track is in the lead right in HH6 instead of the AAMG so our understand so Tom came in then so we're well, in motion one of the biggest things is the Germans don't start with anybody prepared with AA. That's our understanding. The, yeah. The, well, from the special rules, that's what it says. Oh, they enter. They have passengers. Yeah, a bunch of passengers in these. I won't bother specifying where they are. Um. Well, it didn't say they couldn't be crew exposed, right? But Right. But they say no vehicle may be set up in AA oh, mode. Oh, there it is. In the... So what that means is my first strafing runs, assuming I spot him on the Which is spotting check. pretty easy, we find, right. with the negative for motion. So I basically don't worry about AA fire on the first strafing runs. Unless I am playing this wrong, where the AAMGs... On the half tracks, their firepower, I'm halving it for motion fire. Now, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is that right? If they're using AA, is it ever half? Um, Tom's going to look in the rule there, but we'll get back later. I can text if I'm the end of this little recording that we may have screwed up. But 
Tom's plane came in, made that spotting check. Yep, and then I proceeded to take out one of the flock ponzers. I shot up a half track and basically came close to doing something, but didn't do anything to it because it was buttoned up and all the passengers are hunkered down. I rolled high. But then on that, that poor flock ponzer, it's kaput at this point. Actually killed by the machine guns. It's an awful powerful yeah. machine gun. Right. And then I dropped bombs on it to make, to rub salt in the wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I had, you have to designate that before you do the machine gun fire. Oh, that's correct. That's right. right. So the machine guns got it, and then the bombs just added to it. Yeah. That's why you did that. Okay. And it's the bombs were a near miss, but they would have done essentially the same thing that the machine guns did. And apparently the crew came leaping out and from the machine gun fire that knocked out the vehicles. Right into the bomb Engines blast. and guns and into the... Yeah, and they're broken now in that hex. And then because it, the rules say you have to break off after dropping right. the bomb... That's right. Tom couldn't continue. And I his. flipped over. So now I'm about ready to do my second strafing run. And we'll get back to you at the end of that. All right. So I will place this guy here. All right. We probably should have just recorded that live. It went so quickly. Tom's plane yes. came in. What Spotted him. Uh, I came in at HH2 and did a point attack on the lead half track. Making the exciting it. check. Uh, at the 4-hex range, I rolled and missed. I then moved to the 3-hex range, which, rolled, hit. Which now counts uh, the range as 0 to 6 right. hexes on chart C3 right. instead and, of 7 to 12. Right. And I hit. And then I rolled to the 2-kill and basically rolled 3. A 3, which yeah. is a burning rack. Right, and blocks the road. So that... that that uh, thunderbolt is now wagging its wings and flying off. Probably <laughs> does a barrel roll victory loop and takes off. So I, now we're I going to do blame the him. third strafing attack. I'm going to keep recording. We'll see how quick this goes. Okay, now this one's different because I'm going to come in and try to you hit the You can come in the same the area. I could, but why Why shoot up the same vehicles? Because they're all points. Well, that's true. Okay. But I'll you got a bomb, in. though, so maybe you want to put your bomb somewhere else. Yeah, you know... I'm not sure how I want to do this. Really what I want to do is come in right there at uh, FF12. Can't. It's Oh, I see what you're doing. Yes. Um, so oh, there's I have to. I have to be at... I have to be four-way. So it would be... At, uh, no, I can do a point attack on this guy. Okay, now on this board there's Bocage, which I think is going to cause blind hacks, but... Uh, if Tom's coming in at FF12, then uh, FF10 might be blind, although I think it's a higher elevation than um, FF11. Yeah. There's a lot of hills to look at on this board. This is the Kampf Group 2 board here. Oh, and well, let me see. Maybe I should well, come look, in But look, then way. I'm down a level again. And you're down FF9. Level. Well, so. I'm up. So what do you call a plane, and what's its elevation? Uh, it doesn't really like have one. Everything just makes one blind hex, but the hill won't because uh, it's not like a um, building or bocage or cliffside. There are cliffs on this board by the house there in, in GG9. I'll record it. Okay, and we think um, 
Yeah, I, th I think Tom can also see FF9. I don't think that Hill and FF10 can make blind hacks. Unless yeah, it's a cliffside, sure. but Tom's going to go point attack on the flat gun anyway. Right. In FF16. Right. So here he comes, scientist. Here's scientist. No, oh, snake, snake eyes. eyes. <laughs> so easily seen. At least yes. that wasn't on your. Okay, so first you is. You need to do the a machine gun. Machine gun. Four hexes away. Yep, four hexes. Rolling to hit. Three. Three. Boy, it's I just deadly. It's just hot this you today. can't win against this. Uh, so you, you hit. hit. But now, roll the effects roll. Now you got the rear target. I thought oh, it was six. six. Yeah, he's rolled under uh, over a seven all game. That's but, right. Um, no, no. I rolled the nine when I tried one, to take out that once. Yeah. Yes. The one nine. So the the rear armor factor raises, uh, lowers, no, the aerial armor factor lowers the armor factors typically on this chart, obtain final to kill number, aerial AF. In this case, the rear on the flock upon the Waka Walker is a three, but he hit the turret again, so it's a two right. minus, two becomes a one. So my armor factor is a one. His kill number, which you said is a six always? Yeah, it's a six. Oh, no. Um, yeah, machine guns? It is, uh, let's see. You find it along just kind it's of a six. thing. Right, here, it's a six. Wiped out so fast. Yeah, six on the AP to kill table. You can see a 44 right. F number there. Then it goes up by two because it's right. a aerial advantage because it's right. open-topped. Eight and that makes an eight, and then what was the other factor that rate it raises it? Um, it was there's um, oh, rear right. in this case, right? Rear which raises it by one, right? So it's a nine. So you I rolled a six, I rolled a six. So once again, not less than half, half. so it's not a flaming wreck, it's disabled. not equal to, it's right. just less than, right? Disabled crew survival, right? I'm gonna try and roll more quietly because it makes big jingling sounds. Um... Yeah, crew pops out again. Okay, just in time to be machine gun. <laughs> a three. <laughs> now you saw, I just picked these dice I up. Saw. These must be the dice you always use. No, that's you know? my yellow and white, oh, which I'm okay. using against the zombies in okay. our Jeff and mine's second okay. zombie game. All right, well, I just chewed up that. That again. And that I was the machine guns? That's the machine guns. Now it said now. use the same on the die roll. Die roll for the... So we know it's a hit, hit. and we know it's a two. Now, do I count plus one for the wreck? Let's say I do. Yeah. Listeners better double check that. Uh, even if it's a plus one, it's a three on the six. It's a K slash two, so... Bye-bye, crew. He's gone, just as Tom said, yeah. just, just in time to get shot up jumping out of the room. Right, right. And I already declared I was dropping the bombs, so I, all, yeah. I have to drop Good. them. Good, then maybe my, my panther will be able to run away. Oh, three again. We're not making this up, folks. It is Halloween. Well, it was a Night. two on the white and a one on the red. Now it's two on the red and one so on the white. So that's a hull hit. Now that's that a hull hit. leaves the rear armor of a three. Does that matter on the bomb? Well, um, this is Modified a... by the aerial armor factor, aerial advantage, and the rear. Right. And Oh, this is when you take the final to hit die roll. Was that the to hit die roll? The that was the two hit. 
And if it is less than or equal to half the basic to hit number, it's a direct hit. Direct hit. So he uses the full high explosives to kill number, which now is... Now I roll high. Nine. Nine. But the kill number is a ten on 150, yes, right? Yes, it is. Well, no. No, no. it was 16. 16. 16. 150 is a 16 to kill number. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't kill it. Well, but wait, it's modified by the aerial advantage. Right. Raise it to 18. And rear, raise it to 19 kill number. And my armor factor drops by 1. So it's really at 19 minus 2. Are we doing that right? Yeah. So that would be kaboom. Um, well. That's that's the 2 kill oh, number. Nine. 9. Yeah, you need 19 minus the 2, so 17. Yeah. So 9 is less than half. No. No. So, so it's, it's killed again. Yeah, killed yeah. again. Yeah, but and not burning wreck. Right, and this guy goes, he flies over it. And the crew is already shot up. Right, does another barrel roll and, get, and all that. <laughs> Just stuff. roughing it in, Tom. And that's the in. end of that. And now, now, at this point, realistically, why would we continue? Because of you have to have 15 cap, more right. casualty victory points, the American at game end than the German. Oh, you know, you were supposed to do movement points before I did those other two. Oh, we did do the one move. Well, we did a move, so right. can't all three planes come I in after that move? I guess you could, yes. That's what we so. did. Yeah, yeah. They all descended on this and thoroughly messed it up. Because point-wise now, let me cal see, I'll try calculating from memory, um... It's two for a vehicle with the arm, main armament, uh, two for a crew. In the case of the second flock waka waka vehicle, it's uh, that's up to four, and then every five armor factor rounded up is another point, I think. And this is a four uh, armor factor round up to five, and another one. So this is worth five points. Okay. So maybe you're not even at fifteen yet. No, I don't know what the half track and uh, I can add it quick. Oh, crew. but you got the crew on this. Oh, and yeah. gee, did I have a squad in it? The burning wreck. Oh, yes, you did. No. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> no, it's the seven PP one. I had the half squad in it. Half squad. So then this is an armor fighting vehicle. So right. For two, it had an inherent crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, half tracks. So that's four, and its armor adds one, five. So I'm up at... Plus my two I had in it. Yeah. Seven. Seven and... Five. Five. It's twelve. And the other flock of... Right, I'm up Is you've got fifteen. Yeah. Just after... And you didn't even get a chance to do anything. No. Well, I got very lucky with the die rolls. Yes, absolutely. Very And if you didn't rolls. bring a board game of your own design to play test tonight, yes. I would ask us to play this one <laughs> twice. But since you did bring something okay. else for us to do, I will honor your request and thank you for coming out to do this for our listener. Yeah. And I don't um, know what more to say about it. Well, oh, we should probably high. analyze it a little more. Yeah. Now, if okay, so let's talk this through, Tom. If Yeah, now there's a good chance, there's not a chance you're going to miss a science test check here, right? You well, there's no missed. 
There's there's a possibility but not it much. could, but not like much. Twelve celebrities right. at tops. Small target. I mean, uh, right. no, I don't think I mean, you're I, going to I have, moving. I'm an eight, and I will go after Round the level. easiest ones to see. And they can't be concealed right. or hip. They can't be concealed or hip. It, it could be against a guy that's already been attacked by a friendly plane. That would be a right. neg one. Now, right. oh, also, there's neg one if you're in a convoy or a column. It looks like it's a convoy, but or yeah. it, we don't find that in the actual it special rules for scenario G41. Nope. So we didn't play it as a, a convoy or a column, even though it sure, I think, should have been one to start the whole thing off. Right. Um, but your real thing is you could miss the to kill numbers. Right. But average rolls... Still, we're close to getting yeah. hits with those 12 machine guns and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. The machine guns are pretty deadly. Yeah, I guess I'm just surprised it took out those flak. You know, the big well, thing to well, me is you never got a chance to fire them. Right. And even had I fired these AA guns, let's assume I'm wrong and the AA guns are not half for bounding fire, then it's on the two chart. So, really, you're looking at a four yeah. star vehicle line. Yeah. But then you add in the number in your star on the airplane, right? That's a three? Yes. So it can't really do much. Get them with those little AAs. So the no. only hope for the. Or the two. That's why I went after the flock bonzers. Yeah, as the biggest threat. So certainly there's your strategic advice, boys and girls. Go for the flock ponzer, and do hickeys. And, um. Yeah, uh, if he's got to miss a whole bunch of stuff and everybody can get off board without losing 15 points. The, oh, the, oh, the airplane uh, point victory points are two. They're two each. So even if at this point I were able to take down a couple of those planes. And, and don't forget, when you're shooting in an airplane, the odds just get, they're just pretty small. Because you need a final infantry fighter table die roll less than the star vehicle kill number to eliminate it. A final IFT die roll equal to the star vehicle kill number to damage it. And one greater than the star vehicle, unarmored vehicle kill number is a break off and evade even otherwise. So just, yeah. Now the aftermath said they all came jumping out of the vehicles and ran and hid. I'll, I guess if your infantry go hiding somewhere, they'll be pretty safe, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they got plenty woods, of cover they can go into. Stone buildings. Right. But then the vehicle's got to stop. Right. Unload. Right. It just doesn't seem to me that it's worthwhile even trying to really unload the infantry. They're not going to be able to do... Well, it depends on how you do on those first strafing runs. And then if you survive those first strafing runs, the first three, then you could, you know, you could leave somebody, you, the crew, you could stop the vehicles and the skies jump off and go hide. You can still man the AA guns, even though they don't do you much good. The big thing is to, is to have the, um, the flak, flak ponzers, uh, Position so they can they can protect the guys, 
has Panthers just a target as far as yeah, I can tell. Yeah, I can't see. If he unbuttons, it's right. just why would you unbutton with the 12 firepower machine gun coming at you off the airplanes? Well, that's why Thunderbolts are yeah. greatly feared, you know. They were pretty deadly. Uh, well, you know, we saw what happened with the Stukas in that... Um, against the Russians. Against the Russians. Oh, in the man. first bid. That was the last bid. Yeah. I mean, you, taking first on a bid. vehicle was kind of dicey, but if you took on a stack of infantry, poor infantry, if you hit, oh, that was the biggest mistake I thought they made was they figured we'd go after the tanks when they came on with those reinforcements and they came in with stacked infantry and guess what the, the Stukas went after the stacked infantry and oh well and this Panther's worth eight eight victory points mm. too by the way with the high armor factor on that front now he'd be hard so. to get to where he's at though I don't know that one you might have trouble spotting I still kind of, you know I'd come in like this or like this. From where he's set up right now. From yeah. where he's set up right now. The trouble is, having, having knocked out that eight, lead sorry. vehicle, and the vehicle behind him, what Costs is he going to do? Room. So they can ride, they can drive right along that road and through well, the vehicle. Well, they'd have to go up that. No, 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 they can go around. through the hex. Oh, they the can vehicle. move around. Right, yeah, okay. it doesn't block the road. It's not a narrow street. Um, yeah, but it costs more movement points. Right. So that means they may not get off in turn two. Um... Yeah, I don't think he would. Well, I saved one. Oh, no, no, he ain't gonna because look, it's it's like right. fifteen just to get to DD twelve, right, not right. DD two, not counting turning. Right. And assuming he's buttoned up, have one fighter bomber with bombs. Yeah, and he and that's where I'd go for the Panther. Target. Right. Well, you can see how they got chewed up, right? Yeah, it certainly does capture the feeling of that. <laughs> no kidding. Okay, smoke, smoke very quick, and all, as so. we thought it would be, very quick. All right, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this show. I Number think so. 153 is done in the can. Let's put a stamp on it and get it out to the listeners. And get one step closer to 200. Yes. So next show we'll be finishing up with ASL Journal 3. We hope so. And, and we've got a lot of other goodies coming. Some terrain time. We never have finished buildings yet if you can believe i that. can't even believe it time flies we still have this list of interviews to get to and got a pretty full schedule for 2016 so let's get to work let's get started on it dave let's do it and let's make I'll, a new year's resolution while everybody is playing asl and listening to this podcast we'll be working on the next one and all right i want to thank everybody for being there with us and we'll see you next time thanks for listening everybody and remember Roll low. And rally quite well. But not, but not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Of course. Bye-bye, everybody. Did you play the sousaphone in high school? I did not. I Well, wait. No, I played the French horn, and when I was in the marching band, sir, I played the mellophone. What's a mellophone? I don't even know it's what a mellophone is. just a more laid-back version of the French horn. Is that real? <laughs> it does exist. Is really? Yeah, it's like a trumpet for French horn players. Oh. It's bigger than a trumpet. Yeah. Is a French horn really different from a trumpet? Yes. Oh. Huh. Yeah. I don't know anything about wind instruments. Did, did you know I was drum major in high I school? I did. Yes, I did. 
I'd like to see you in that outfit. Well, it was like a Minuteman outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to wear pants? Sadly, yes. Oh. <laughs>